Happy New Year. Man, isn't it good to start the year in God's house? And I want to commend you for being here, being a part of this gathering. Uh, do, do you realize that God designed you as a new creation in such a way that your soul thrives, your faith is encouraged and strengthened when you are committed to this gathering. And, and by the way, we need each other. We need a gathering of all of us. Um, can you imagine how discouraging it would be to our faith if, if there was no one here today just except for you and me? Wouldn't that be kind of discouraging? And yet we look around and we see so many others who are just leaning into Jesus and walking with Jesus. And the reality is this faith thing is designed to be done in community. That's why we pray, give us this day, not me, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I want you to just turn to the person next to you and just say thank you. Thank you for being committed to the gathering. Just thank them because we are here together and we need each other and you are here. Amen. All right. Now, hey, let's, let's get to work. Let's dive in. Um, we are in the middle of just a, a really quick, short series. Uh, this verse changed my life. David started it last week, and didn't David do a great job last week? Amen. Outstanding. And, uh, and then Pierce will be preaching next Sunday. Uh, this verse changed my life, and I'm starting, I mean, I'm, I'm here in the middle of the series, and we're going to look at a verse. But before we look at the verse that God has used to change my life, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a favorite verse? I mean, do you have that kind of go-to verse? That verse that you just kind of whip out, you know, when people are exchanging verses and, and you're, you're, you know, you want them to know you can hang, you know, with, with the church crowd. And, you know, you, you, you got it. You, you and Jesus got it going and you know your scriptures. But, but even more than that, do you have that verse that your heart just kind of just gravitates towards uh, in times of doubt? It's like your anchor. Or maybe in times of incredible pain and, and disappointment with life, it, 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 is, it is that which keeps you afloat. Or in times of indecision, it's just a verse that God uses and it's just kind of your North Star and it recenters your life. Do you have a favorite verse? Now, I know some of you are thinking, I, I got it, I got it, I got one. Uh, Jesus wept. Yeah, okay, that's great. I love it, I love it, I love it. No, but did you know that I did look online and just found some of people's favorite verses? And, and number four on the list, according to this particular survey, is this, not bad. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Number three on the list and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Number two on the list, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil and to give you a future and a hope. Number one on the list, can, can you guess what it is? It comes out of the gospel of John, you know, yeah, God's the love of the world, gives only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, this morning, I want to share with you a verse that God has used to really 
shaped my life, influenced my life. It's a verse that I memorized back in college along with a number of other verses. And, and honestly, if you ask me my favorite verse, I would tell you it's all of these verses that I've memorized or I'd just tell you it's whatever verse I read this morning that God used to speak to me. That really is my favorite verse. But if you really pin me down and said, okay, what, heart, what, what verse does your heart gravitate towards in, in those pivotal moments of life? I would tell you it's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I mean, it's just one of those pivotal verses that God has used. And this morning, I want to I not so much preach it, though I love preaching and I believe God ordained preaching and he wants us to hear preaching. But I want us to just consider this verse and just kind of break it down and talk about it together. Because here's my prayer. By the time we leave today, my prayer, I'm going to invite you to embrace a Galatians 2.20 life. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's incredible if you really begin to break down what Paul tells us in this verse. He just says, I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that. If you begin to live that out at pivotal moments in life and you're just going, man, I've been crucified with Christ. And then you go, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then you're going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do in this moment? The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. See, when I look at this verse, here's the way I break it down and have broken it down over the last 40 years. I am a crucified, occupied follower of Jesus. And again, I, I want you to not so much hear this as a sermon as, as just diving in and just let's answer the question together. What would it look like if we embrace together this year, we're going to live a Galatians 2.20 life? Because that's what I'm going to invite you to do. I am a crucified, occupied follower of Jesus. Right now, I'm going to ask you to just put the Galatians 2.20 back on the screen. It's up there. And, and uh, I'm going to invite you to just declare this verse with me. Not read it, but just declare this verse with me. And, and, and by declaring it, I'm saying to recognize that this verse is true. All of God's word is true. Whether you believe it's true or not, it's still true. Whether you've lived the truth out or not, it's still true. And I'm just going to invite you to just embrace this truth and then let's break it down together. So, so I'm going to invite you right now. Would you just read this with me? Declare this with me. Let's declare this truth to be true. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, if we begin to break that down and, you know, you're just kind of like you come to a pivotal moment in life and you're going, okay, God, help me. God goes, okay, let's go back to I am a crucified follower of Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. What in the world does that mean, crucified? It's how I know Paul's a preacher. He says stuff like that. I've been crucified with Christ. And we're like, Paul, what does that even mean? I've been crucified with Christ. Well, let's kind of look at it. I mean, crucified means to die. It means to be dead. There's no sort of dead. There's no kind of dead. There's just dead, right? And so Paul was saying, hey, you know what? I want you to understand something, and, and God, I want to make sure that I understand before you that the old Paul is dead and done with. He is gone. He's dead. 
Uh, the old Paul that followed after old desires, he's dead. The old Paul that had old goals and priorities, he's dead. The old Paul that just really hated uh, those who were followers of Jesus, he's dead. The old Paul who was filled with pride and believed that he could justify himself before God through his own righteousness, he's dead. The old Paul is dead. Man, you start living that life where you're going, insert your name, the old me is dead. I am a new creation. The old person, the old desires, the old life is dead. And now to say it is dead, it means that Paul is telling us, you and I, this is true of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, none of this is true with you, but I'm going to invite you to embrace Jesus so that this can be true of you before you leave here today. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you were if you are dead, that means you once were alive to an old set of desires. Think about this. Don't, don't start daydreaming on me because here's what Paul is saying. You once were a slave to your desires. You were a slave. That just means that your desires were stronger than your will to resist. So then we say you're a slave of sin. That's what scripture says. And so it just means that you were a slave. You didn't have the willpower or the strength to resist the desires that you saw. You look at stuff and it looks good and you're going, I want that. And, and so you went after it. The desires of your flesh, that feels good. So I want that. And you go after that. The desire of pride, the stuff that makes you look good in front of others. Where am I getting that? Uh, scripture tells us that all of sin, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from this world. You were once a slave to stuff that looked good, made you feel good, and you thought at least made you look good in front of others, pride. And Paul says, that old Paul is dead and that old you is dead and that old Gary is dead who was a slave to those desires. It's interesting, he uses the word crucified, right? And crucified is a bloody ordeal. Crucified, there's nothing civilized about crucified. I mean, when you, whenever there's a crucifixion going on, and I pray that we don't see one in our day, but I'll tell you, in the first century, you didn't go buy a ticket to a crucifixion and get your soft drink and your popcorn and sit there and, you know, recline in chair and just watch it and just ooh and ah and laugh. No, no, no. If you witnessed a crucifixion, you looked on in horror because it was a bloody, cruel death. And Paul says that old person, that one, that person that we once were has been crucified and it was a bloody death. But now he says, we're alive to something else. But let's, let's deal with something before we move on from I'm a crucified follower of Jesus. The reality is that old person may be dead. So why do you and I, notice I'm including you in this, still struggle with our old sinful desires? Why do we still crave stuff that looks good, feels good, and stuff that we think makes us look good in front of others? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And by the way, let me ask, just so I know you're with me, how many of you, uh, though you are a follower of Jesus, you still struggle with the old desires you had before you came to know Jesus? I wanna see a show of hands. Okay, that's nearly 50% of us. And the other percent, you just proved the point. You know that, right? 
you're like, if I raise my hand right now, it's not going to look good in front of others. And so, yeah, you still struggle with, it's called pride, stuff that you think will make you look good in front of others. Now, the reality is we all struggle with old sinful desires. So how can I stand up here and preach? How can Paul say in one sentence, hey, the old you is dead and you're, you're dead to those old desires. And in the very next moment, but those old desires are still around and we still struggle with those desires. So Paul says, hey, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of death? Why do we still struggle with the old desires if we're dead to them? Well, we struggle with them because Satan is still around and Satan tempts us. But the reality is we can't just blame it all on Satan. The reality is we're still tempted by our old desires. James helps us to understand this a little bit. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Did you, know how, did you notice how James talks about his own desires? And James is talking about the old temptations and how they still hang around. They're dead, but they're deadly. And they're gone, but they're present. They've been crucified, but they still have a powerful allure on our life. The old you is dead, but the old desires are still hanging around. Can I get an amen to that? And notice how he says these old desires, they don't just hang around and they're not content to just hide over here in a corner and just, oh, don't mind me. Notice how James says, they lure us and entice us. Did you catch that? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. What does that mean? It means those old desires that, you're, that are crucified. They're dead and gone. But amazingly, they're present. And guess what they're doing? They lure you and entice you. Any of y'all ever experienced this? Those old desires say, hey, come out and play. Come on. You know you want to. You know you used to enjoy it when we drank one too many. You know we used to enjoy watching that stuff on the internet. You know how good it felt to just unleash your rage. You know, where you, you didn't try to stuff it down. You didn't try to ask God to take away your, you just exploded and you yelled and you shouted. And you had that spit coming out of your mouth and how people were like, whoa. You remember how powerful you felt? Come on, let's play. And notice what happens. See, this old desire, it doesn't just lure us and entice us. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. It says, if we allow it to hang around, what happens? It conceives. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. We allow that desire to hang around. And what happens when someone conceives? Well, they become pregnant and pregnancy lasts about nine months. And in and, and that nine months, that, that child is growing and maturing and getting stronger and getting ready to be birthed into this world. And what Paul is saying here is, yeah, those old desires, oh, they've been crucified and you're dead to them. Oh, by the way, they sure hang around and exert a lot of influence and they entice you and beg you to come out and play. And if you entertain those desires, then what happens is those desires conceive inside of you. And if you let them hang around for nine months, nine weeks, or even nine minutes, it's only a matter of time before those desires are going to give birth to sin in some shape, form, or fashion. So what Paul is telling us is to live life as a crucified follower of Jesus 
means that we don't let desire linger. We don't let the old desire hang around. We don't let it get conceived. We don't treat it like a backyard barbecue. You know how when you're barbecuing in the backyard, I don't do it much, but if I ever do barbecue in the backyard, I mean, man, that meat starts smelling good, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it. There's no meat that tastes better than, than meat that is just right hot off the grill. You're grilling it, and, and all of a sudden you start smelling the aroma, and you're putting on the barbecue sauce and this and that, right? And, and you just your mouth literally starts to water and you're like, oh, 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 I gotta, I gotta have a bite. And, and if you're like me, you eat your whole meal before you ever set any food on the table, right? If you're the one barbecuing. And that's what happens when we allow desire to linger. We allow it to conceive. It's like that barbecue and we start smelling it and our soul starts watering and we're just like, I gotta have a bite. I've got to do that. And so what Paul is saying is, if I'm crucified, if you live a crucified life, you go, wait a minute. No, I'm dead to that desire, even though it's luring me and enticing me. And so in this moment, before it conceives, before I let it hang around for nine months, nine weeks or nine minutes. God, I'm asking you right now to kill that desire. God, I'm asking you to remove that desire. God, I'm asking you to cause that desire to just keep flying right over my head. I mean, I love the old saying, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Amen. And you're going, God, would you just keep the birds flying? God, would you just, oh, how about this? God, you hate sin. God, would you let me see this sin, this temptation through your eyes? Would you give me a hatred for this sin? Would you let me hate it like you hate it? See, when you say I'm crucified, you gotta recognize that this is a bloody killing. This is a bloody death. There is nothing uh, humane about this. And so you treat that temptation like it has to be crucified. Reality is we're all still tempted, but the old person who followed after those desires blindly is dead and gone. So I'm going to invite you to just declare this with me. I am a crucified follower of Jesus. If you are a Christian, you have asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Would you just declare that with me, whether you've lived it out or not, whether you've believed it up to this point or not, would you just declare with me, I am a crucified follower of Jesus. Let's say it together. I am a crucified follower of Jesus. But notice not just crucified, we are also occupied. I love this. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If you begin to understand what it means that you are occupied, you can go ahead and just hang out a no vacancy sign over your soul. Because if Christ is in you, there's no room for anything else. But this gets kind of fun, right? Because when doubt invades your soul, you can say, well, no, 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 I am occupied. I am occupied by Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, right now, doubt is invading my soul. And I'm asking you to take up the space where the doubt is. When fear invades your soul, you're going, Jesus, I'm asking you to take up the space where that fear is. When indecision, doubt, you name it, hatred, pride, prejudice, lust, you're going, Jesus, I am occupied by you and you are big enough to fill me up completely. So would you occupy the space where that doubt, that fear is. See, the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
When you begin to get a hold of the fact that you are occupied, there is hope that comes from that. There is joy that comes from that because you begin to realize I am fully occupied by Jesus. That means I've got access to Jesus. That means that he will never leave me nor forsake me. That means that I've got the resurrection power of Jesus operating in my soul, not because I'm strong, but because Jesus is strong and Jesus is in me. And so Jesus, through your power, I really do have the strength to walk walk away from this temptation. Do you realize when you begin to understand, I am occupied by Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden you have hope from just knowing that you've got a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You realize Jesus is not an Airbnb guest in your soul, right? He's not there for a week or a month or even a lifetime. He is there for all eternity. And when you begin to understand, I am occupied, you begin to understand that nothing can ever separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And then you begin to embrace Jesus as your master, your Lord, your God, your King. I was listening to a podcast just yesterday. And it just, in the podcast, it talked about how Jesus is the better master. Oh, by the way, we're all mastered by something, right? You can give yourself to your job. You can give yourself to being a professional athlete. You can give yourself to, uh, man, I'm gonna have the most likes of anyone that I know. You're gonna be mastered by something. And in the podcast, they said, Jesus is the better master. Listen to what they said. We all have a master. Jesus is better because if you get him, he will satisfy you. If you get Jesus, he will, no other master can satisfy you. He will satisfy you, and if you fail him, he will forgive you. See, Jesus is a better master, and you are occupied by this master who can actually satisfy your soul and forgive you when you fall short. And I invite you to just declare right now in your own heart, I am an occupied follower of Jesus. But then the key is not just crucified, occupied. The key is follower, right? I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, if you begin to live by faith, then you begin to understand, man, I am under new ownership. I am under new management. Uh, You begin to embrace this reality. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You now have a new king. And here's the deal. When you live by faith, here's the deal. You begin to understand that his job is to lead, your job is to follow. And when you begin to understand that, it begins to simplify life. Living by faith doesn't mean you get to do what you please. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean you get to do what you think is best. It doesn't mean you get to follow your heart. It doesn't mean you get to do what somebody else tells you to do. See, when you live by faith, you're recognizing, Jesus, you're the king, you're my God, you're my master, and your job is to lead, my job is to follow. And and do you realize how that begins to impact you? I mean, here's how I live by faith. I come to Jesus with open hands. Whatever decision there is to make, I go, Jesus, the truth is, I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own, I'm yours. I'm wholly owned and operated by Jesus. And so Jesus, since your job is to lead, my job is to follow. Jesus, I don't really have a decision to make here. You have a decision to make. My only responsibility is to figure out what you're leading. 
Do you realize how that simplifies life? Students, man, God, I, I don't know what college to go to, but thankfully, Lord, that's not really my call. And that's your call. Your job is to lead. My job is to follow. So God, I'm going to pray about it. And God, I'm going to give you all the information that, that I can. I'm going to tell you where my parents want me to go because that's their alma mater. I'm going to tell you where I want to go. I'm going to tell you the financial ramifications, family ramifications. But the truth is, Lord, it's not my call on where I go to college. It's your call. Your job is to lead. My job is to follow. So God, you show me and I will follow whether I want to or not, whether I think it's the best call or not. I'm going to follow whatever I believe you're leading me to do. God, I don't know if I need to take this promotion. I don't know if I need to take this job. We'd have to move. We'd have to change this, change that. And, but good news, it's not your call. God, I've been bought with a price. It's actually not my decision to make on whether I take this job, take this promotion. It's your, your job's to lead. My job's to follow. So God, my job is just to figure out what you're leading. God, I'm gonna tell you all the information. I'm gonna tell you what I want. I'm gonna tell you what my spouse wants, my kids want. I'm gonna tell you what my family wants. I'm gonna tell you the financial ramifications, relational. But God, the bottom line is, I'm gonna follow whatever you call me to do. Do you realize it works on the other side of the coin too? You can come to God and go, God, Man, I really want to have an affair. That seems kind of fun to me. But God, it's not my call to make. God, I kind of want to get a divorce. I think I might could do better. But that's not my call to make, God. Hey, I want to cheat on that test, God. But that's not my call to make. See, I've been bought with the price. Your job's to lead, my job's to follow. So God, would you just kind of tell me what you think about divorce? Tell me what you think about having an affair. Tell me what you think about sex outside of marriage. God, would you just tell me what you think about cheating on that test? Because here's the deal. I'm gonna follow what you tell me to do, whether I want to or not, whether that's what my heart says or not. See, I've been bought with a price and I'm not my own. And I'm gonna live by faith. See, if you really embrace that, embrace I'm a crucified, occupied follower of Jesus, your life will be radically transformed. So, so let me ask you, what would it look like for you to say today, I'm going to embrace the Galatians 2.20 life. I'm not asking you to make it your favorite verse. I'm not asking you to put it on your fridge. So, man, it'd be a good idea. I'm not asking you to underline it in your Bible. Great idea, by the way. But, but you know, I'm just saying, what if you said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a Galatians 2.20 life. Hey, maybe, maybe you can't, you know, boy, crucified, occupied, follower. Maybe you can't do all three. So just choose one. For some of you, it would mean you start getting really serious about what it means to be a crucified follower of Jesus. And you start dealing with sin. And you stop thinking like an alcoholic who says, you know, I think I'm going to grab a burger down at the pub. Or I think I'll just have one drink. And we all go, no, 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 no. You know you can't do that. That's crazy. But, but we do the same thing, don't we, in every other area of life. Like we can be cozy with sin but not be controlled by sin. And so you start going, well, no, 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 I'm crucified. And so that means I, this has got to be a bloody death. This has got to be a ruthless death. And so I'm going to start dealing with temptation right there when it entices me instead of letting it conceive and hang around for nine months, nine weeks, or nine minutes. I'm going to deal with it right then and ask God to take that away. Ask God to change my mind. Ask God to change the subject. Ask God to start just letting the birds fly over. Ask God to give me a hatred for that sin. See, what would it mean for you to say, I'm going I'm to live as a crucified follower of Jesus this week?
How about occupied? See, you can't be occupied by Jesus and only have part-time contact with Jesus. Amen. Let me hear an amen on that. It means you got to get serious about being occupied. Amen. You got to get serious about being a part of the gathering like you are this morning. Get serious about opening your Bible and listening to the voice of God and bending your knee and praying and bending your knee and confessing your sin and bending your knee and saying, God, I'll do whatever your spirit prompts me to do. See, occupied, it means you, you spend time with Jesus. And how about follower? Where's Jesus been leading you that so far you have resisted him? What step is he calling you to take? What would a step of faith for you look like? Maybe for some of you, it's praying over your kids at night out loud. Maybe for you, it'd be volunteering in our next-gen ministries. Maybe for you, the next step, just I am a follower of Jesus. It would be getting connected in the life group. For some of you, it'd be getting into recovery. For some of you, it'd be seeking out counseling for your marriage. What would it look like to take a step toward that place that Jesus has been leading you, but you've been resisting? I am a crucified, occupied follower of Jesus. Let me tell you why this is so important. I, uh, in this podcast that I was listening to, um, somebody was interviewing Timothy Keller, who's passed away now, But Timothy Keller in this podcast started quoting C.S. Lewis and he made an incredible point that I think is relevant to every one of us. He said, quoting C.S. Lewis, when we're young, we all tend to believe that there's something in this world that will truly satisfy us. We may think that it's a job if I can just get that job, have that career. Or we may think that it's marriage if I could just be married to this person. Or we may think that it's travel. Or we may think it's a thousand other things. But when we're young, we all tend to have this idealized view that there is something in this world that can satisfy me. But then as we grow older, and especially as we grasp that thing that we thought would satisfy we all, come, we all come to the realization that that job didn't satisfy. As soon as we grasped it, the satisfaction leaked. That marriage didn't satisfy. That travel didn't satisfy. And so we respond in one of three ways. When we think the world, there's something in the world that can satisfy me and I'm going to grasp that and, and, and it doesn't satisfy, we respond in one of three ways. One way we respond is, oh, I need a better job. I need a better spouse. I need more exotic travel. But here's the problem. If you choose that option, it's just going to leave you driven, anxious, and angry. Because as soon as you grasp that next thing, you'll realize it won't satisfy you either. Option number two is, you can make this decision. There's no happiness and satisfaction in this life, so you lecture yourself. Stop crying for stuff that will never happen. Here's the problem with just assuming, oh, I'm just gonna cut myself off from this desire for joy, for happiness, for satisfaction. Here's what happens. You become cynical, And you dehumanize yourself because you're cutting yourself off from that part of your heart that 
yearns for love, joy, and satisfaction. But there's a third option, and I highly recommend it. You can realize as ducklings want to swim, and oh, by the way, there's such a thing as water. As babies want to nurse, and oh, by the way, there's such a thing as milk. And I quote C.S. Lewis by way of Timothy Keller, by way of a podcast. Desires don't exist unless satisfaction for those desires exists. And if you find in yourself a desire for something that nothing in this world can satisfy, it probably means you were made for another world. Can we say amen to that church family? See, you find satisfaction when you stop trying to find satisfaction in the stuff that looks good, feels good, and the stuff that you think makes you look good in front of others. And when you start embracing a Galatians 2.20 life, when you say, I am a crucified, occupied follower of Jesus, you begin to find satisfaction because Jesus is the only master who can satisfy you and who can forgive you when you fail him. Now, let me say this. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you can embrace a Galatians 2.20 life, but it, it begins with recognizing that there is the kingdom of God and Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And Jesus loves you so much, this king. He wants you to be a citizen of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. But he came and died on a cross in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. He was buried. He rose again. He conquered sin, death, Satan, and hell. And he says this, if you're willing to come and repent, if you're willing to embrace a crucified life, if you're willing to die to the old self and the old desires, if you're willing to crucify those and let Jesus crucify them, and if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and claim him as your savior, and if you will commit yourself to follow him as your Lord, your God, your King, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I invite you today to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus and receive Jesus. And you say, I've done that, great. Then today the invitation is embrace the Galatians 2.20 life. Work this week on the crucified or the occupied or the living by faith, following Jesus. And I'm telling you, you will find in Jesus the satisfaction you seek. Let's pray together and then Richard's gonna close us out. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you truly are the only one who can satisfy us, who can save us, who can forgive us. You're the only one who can give us the life we desire. So today we embrace you and we declare that we are crucified. We are occupied followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.